So welcome to this seasonal issue of the podcast. And I'm going to ask a question. Should we allow a Christmas tree to be displayed in a place where the worship of God is taking place? Now, I know that many of my Reformed friends and other Christians indeed will tell me that's a non-issue because we simply shouldn't be having Christmas at all. After all, we don't celebrate Christ's Mass, do we? But it's a question that was recently asked me by a Christian friend. So it's important to remember that the question is what we call a diaphora. It's not a matter of saving faith. It's something over which Christians can disagree with each other without being disagreeable, hopefully. There's no specific verse that says, Thou shalt not have a Christmas tree. And having or not having a Christmas tree in church will not result in eternal loss. Neither are those who take one position or the other in any way to be called apostate or heretical. What we're talking about here also is a question of location. She was asking me, should a Christian church allow a Christmas tree to be displayed in a place where the worship of God is taking place? In a large and very friendly church where I once served as pastor, there was a giant Christmas tree every December at the front of the church, front of the sanctuary of the church. It was massive. It could never be removed from its position because it had been gifted to the church by two very faithful church members who would be absolutely offended if it was not erected every year. It took me five years of negotiation for a compromise to be reached and for the tree to be removed from the front of the so-called sanctuary, for want of a better word, and relegated to the church foyer, an area where there was no public worship taking place. It was, on my part, a compromise, and on their part also. Now, personally, I'm not opposed to Christmas trees per se. For example, in a private home, or even in that church foyer, I suppose, It wasn't a ditch I was prepared to die in. As I said before, that's a matter of personal choice and freedom of conscience. And like Paul's argument about meat from animals sacrificed to pagan deities, well, pagan deities are no deities at all. So why not eat, unless it hinders a weaker brother? 1 Corinthians 8, verse 4, down to verse 9. So why was the Christmas tree acceptable in one location, but not in the other? Why acceptable or reasonably acceptable in a church foyer, but not in the sanctuary? Well, the answer is that anywhere, and I must include in this a minor hall where there's a Bible study or a prayer meeting, anywhere that the worship of Almighty God, who is thrice holy, is taking place, must reflect that purpose, and must facilitate that worship, which is to be offered in holiness. 1 Chronicles 16 and 29 Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. So let's bring up some reasonable debating points. Let's look at some issues regarding what we permit in our places of worship. I'm Bob McAvoy, and this is the Semper Reformata Podcast.
The first issue is particularly important for people, Christian people who have a reformed attitude to worship. It's called the regulative principle of worship. And for reformed Christians, this is the essential issue at stake here. We only admit into worship what God has specifically commanded and allowed. Here's chapter 21, paragraph 1 in the Westminster Confession of Faith. The light of nature showeth that there is a God, who hath lordship and sovereignty over all, is good and doth good unto all, and is therefore to be feared, loved, praised, called upon, trusted in and served with all the heart and with all the soul and with all the might. But the acceptable way of worshipping the true God is instituted by himself and so limited by his own revealed will that he may not be worshipped according to the imaginations and devices of men or the suggestions of Satan under any visible representation or any other way not prescribed in the Holy Scripture. Now I would take that to mean that we can't include in our worship any device that is of man's invention, and I would include in that a Christmas tree invented by men. Anything that sits in a building where an act of worship is taking place should only ever be conducive to that act of worship. So we need a pulpit for preaching and for reading God's word. We need a font or a baptistry. We need a communion table. And I suppose we need seats, although that might be debatable. But what does a Christmas tree bring to our worship that will bring that worship more into line with God's commands? Absolutely nothing. In fact, the opposite is the case. The Christmas tree cannot best be symbolic, and we reject such unbiblical symbols, just as much as we abhor and reject the Catholic practice of displaying crosses and crucifixes and statues of saints, which are also claimed as symbols. And that's where the Reformed churches differ from the Lutherans, who will also allow statues and candles and incense into their place of worship. Luther would have argued that what the Bible does not prohibit is admissible in worship. The opposite position from the Westminster Confession of Faith. But for Presbyterians and Reformed Baptists and confessional Congregationalists, on the basis of the regulative principle of worship set out as a biblical principle in the Westminster Confession of Faith and subscribed by every Presbyterian elder, no Christmas tree, a device not expressly commanded by God, can be permitted in any place where the worship of our holy God is taking place. Incidentally, the Bible calls such an intrusion strange fire. And it does have serious consequences.
the second issue is that the Christmas tree is of course a pagan symbol. Some believers will argue that the tree should be excluded from a place of worship because of that, and certainly its origins would seem to be pagan. One website I accessed recently states, and I quote, Evergreen trees and plants have been used to celebrate winter festivals for thousands of years, long before the advent of Christianity. Pagans in Europe used branches of evergreen fir trees to decorate their homes and brighten their spirits during the winter solstice. Early Romans used evergreens to decorate their temples for the festival of Saturnalia. Evergreen fir trees covered in snow, the idea of bringing the evergreen into the house represents fertility and new life in the darkness of winter, which was much more of the pagan themes. Dr. Dominique Wilson from the University of Sydney said, and again I quote, That's also where the ideas of the holly and the ivy and the mistletoe come from, because they're the few flowering plants of winter, so therefore they hold special significance. So the idea of bringing evergreens into the house started there, and eventually that evolved into the Christmas tree. Well, you can make your own mind up about all of that. But if it is a pagan symbol, then to allow it within the sanctuary, for want of a better word, would constitute idolatry. Now that's where we need to open our Bibles and to read Jeremiah 10. It's a passage that is not about Christmas trees, but it is a passage about idolatry. We're going to read it together. Jeremiah 10, verse 1 to verse 6. Hear ye the word which the Lord speaketh unto you, O house of Israel. Thus saith the Lord, Learn not the way of the heathen, and be not dismayed at the signs of heaven, for the heathen are dismayed at them, for the customs of the people are vain. For one cutteth a tree out of the forest, the work of the hands of the workman with the axe. They tack it with silver and with gold, they fasten it with nails and with hammers, that it move not. They are upright as the palm tree, but they speak not. They must needs be born, because they cannot go. Be not afraid of them, for they cannot do evil, neither also is it in them to do good. For as much as there is none like unto thee, O Lord, thou art great, and thy name is great in might. A passage about idolatry. And what is idolatry anyway? No one in our evangelical reformed circles would dream of worshipping a false god, would they? But what about when the sermon gets a little difficult and the pastor's voice is beginning to fade out of your brain and the lights twinkling away in the tree start to attract your attention and you start thinking about that instead, about the kids and the presents and the turkey and what you haven't got for Auntie Joan this year and that card that remains unsent. Isn't the tree just a distraction, just a form of idolatry? putting your own needs and interests before what God wants to say to you in his word. We're not to worship gods of wood and stone and metal. And if the Christmas tree really is pagan, then it is little more than another day gone, set up in the house of the Lord. And we are not to imitate the ways of the pagans, the heathens, 
or to adopt and promote their customs. Here's my third issue. It's about the correct use of Christian symbols. It concerns those that think the Christmas tree is to carry some form of Christian symbolism. They'd argue that the lights on the tree are symbolic of how Christ is the light of the world who lights up the darkness. John 1 and verse 6 down to verse 9 is appropriate here. Here's just a couple of verses. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness, to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. One writer even suggested the Christmas tree has become a symbol of Christ. Being triangular in shape, it represents the Trinity. And from there came the idea that the tree should be a symbol of Christ and new life. That's one of the main origins of the Christmas tree. Unquote. Now, personally, I find this talk of symbolism far-fetched. In the incident at the church that I described a few minutes ago, one of my secondary objections was that when the tree was erected in the sanctuary, for want of a better word, one of the pieces of furniture used to facilitate the commanded worship of God, the communion table, had to be removed so that the tree could take its place. The communion table itself is not a sacrament or an ordinance, but its presence, like the placement of the pulpit in the centre of the church to speak of the centrality of preaching, its presence there in the church is a reminder of the Lord's Supper, which points to Christ's death at the cross for sinners, and that's the point. The only symbols permitted inside the sanctuary are baptism, which is symbolic, a visual aid, pointing us to how Christ has washed away our sins in his own blood, and the Lord's Supper, which points us to the cross. Those are the only symbols commanded by Christ and ordained by God to be admitted in his worship. Certainly not a decorated tree. One of the greatest dangers with these innovations is mission creep. As someone said to me, sure it's only a tree. It can't do any harm and the kids love it. And who knows, maybe it will encourage people to come to church and attend to service and hear the gospel. Maybe they'll come to Christ and you'll hear that argument. But let's be careful. Once we permit one uncommanded novelty into worship, where do we stop? It's only a tree. It's only a drama group. It's only a drum kit. 
It's only a woman pastor. These are not insignificant matters. Churches that through time have drifted into unbiblical forms of worship started with a first step, and the next step was less painful, and the devil got a foothold, and the worship of God was degraded. Truly reformed churches don't make much of Christmas. Many don't celebrate it at all, and those that do mark the incarnation of Christ certainly do not include any of the paraphernalia of the secular celebration. Let's stay with what God has ordained for us in worship. Let's learn to obey his word, and let's remain faithful to the precepts that we find there, whatever the season. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast, please help to make it better known by opening the podcast app on your phone or mobile device. Then, search for The Semper Reformata Podcast. Subscribe and give it a 5-star rating. See you next time.